I said it last week, and uh, I'll say it again. It's it's just good to to be back in in the presence of what uh, my dad would say, my people. Um, he, for some reason, he associates like the Adventist ghettos with his people. So when we're like at Southern and, and he's at a village market, he's like, these are my people. And Apple Valley at Andrews, those are his people. Um, it, it was so fun to, for him to visit when I was at school there. But, but for me, these are, these are my people. These, as Pastor Jeff used to say, these are the people I love. And it's so good to be here with all of you. Um, as, as I said last week, I was gone for six weeks. So this week specifically, I just kind of just took a step back and, and uh, was just watching the volunteers and just so thankful and amazed at the people who've just stepped up to claim this, this community as their church and, and to make a difference. And, and everything you see here is just put on by so many volunteers. So can we just give them a hand from upstage and to the back? And we're talking about expectations, and we're going to get a little bit into what volunteering looks like, hopefully, um, at the end of this. But what I want you guys to know that every Friday, the team that's up here and, and a lot of the people that are that are setting up, um, what they don't just come here and plug in and, and start playing music. We spend time in the Word together, and there is intentionality. There is a heart and a passion to seek God out from the people who are greeting you at the door to the ones up here there is meeting their substance to that and, and yesterday was just a powerful moment where a lot of the team just got to share we usually sit here and, and um, you know we, we pray over these seats we pray over the people that that come here and we pray for each other um, and it was just so good to be a part of that and just to hear the hearts of, of, of volunteers who are seeking God and journeying um, together and that's what church looks like so I have a question that I'm going to start with, and Pastor Mark kind of hinted at that a little bit. But the question is, have you ever had expectations be put on you? Whether you wanted them or not, have you ever felt the burden of an expectation? And that could come in, in many different forms. Maybe you didn't ask for those, and, and you find out later, oh, this is what was expected of me. If you have a job and you work for a company that's successful, you'll know that they give you a list of expectations in the form of a job description. When I first got here, one of the things that I got, even before uh, I started working, was a job description of the things that they expect of me. And that came in the form of working for the Florida Conference and for the church. Different things as when I take on the identity of being a pastor, there are certain expectations. Isn't that right, Juan? He makes sure that I follow through with a lot of those expectations uh, from the conference level, at least. So if you work for a company, you have a certain list. Maybe it's a job description. Maybe your boss has communicated to you what it is that he wants you to do. Have you ever expected something from someone in your own life, in a relationship you've been in, and have you ever been let down? I could say a lot of us probably can answer yes to that. We have been in a relationship we, where maybe there wasn't communication, and whether it's a friend or a significant other, we have been let down. So what 
do expectations look like? And more importantly, what does God expect of you? Does he expect anything at all? As a Christian, when you take on that form, that identity, when you claim, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a Christian, there are expectations to that. When we bring leaders into warehouse community, there is a certain level that they must meet of expectation. They are now representing the church, the people. And there are things that we communicate to them that they should be aware of. Now, this is your responsibility. But as a Christian, what are those expectations? And do you know what they are? Have you identified those? Are they achievable? Are they expectations that you know that, yes, I know this is what is expected of me from my church. God has, has come to me in, in a vision, possibly, and, have, and has told me what those things are. Or are some of them aspirational? Are they goals and things that maybe God's placed in your heart that maybe you say, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. I would venture to say that if all your expectations from God are achievable, then you're not challenging him to change you. Because the expectations that God puts on our hearts should be beyond our comprehension, should be beyond our understanding. Last week, we were in the book of Acts, and we're still in the book of Acts. We're going to be here for, for a while. But if you have your Bibles, we are in Acts 2, phones. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. We're in Acts 2, and, and the first part of Acts 2, what, what we did cover was the day of Pentecost. And I'm just going to summarize really quick. If you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch it um, if you want the whole thing. But what we know is that people came together. The body of believers that we identify as the church, they came together and the Spirit fell upon those who did come together. And as a result, crazy things began to happen. Things that were beyond their imagination, what they thought was possible. It was a moment where people who were on the outside and within could not believe the things that were happening. Now is when we begin to see the Spirit's tangible work. We begin to see, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing. We begin to get a clear picture of that starting in the book of Acts. Because what, what we, in Acts 2, what we know, Jesus has left. Now we've been given the Holy Spirit and now He rests upon us and within us forever. This is this is the time of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.14, we're going to read a few verses. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and it's now eleven plus, plus Peter because they've chosen another disciple of Matthias. And he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And we'll stop right there. So what we see beginning to form is Peter coming to the defense of what others have just witnessed. And in the original language, he actually includes himself in this. He's not just referring to those, but he's referring to we. He's saying, we are not drunk. See, what, what, what had happened in a few verses before is there is a group of people that are within 
and on the outside of this, of this group, calling them drunkards. There's like, they're drunk. They don't know what they're saying. They're speaking in tongues. It, it doesn't make any sense. And they dismiss them. They dismiss them because they don't understand what's actually happening. So Peter comes to the, to the defense and he schools out. That's the bell. So he comes to the defense of these individuals. And he includes him, himself in that. And he says, we are not drunk. And he establishes a case for it. So here we have someone that's putting something on these, these people. An accusation. And Peter comes to the defense and he lays out his case. What, we're, what we read is the case that he's setting and proof as to why what they're doing is not the work of a drunkard, but the work of God himself. He comes to the defense. He plays the role of advocate because he believes in his heart that what has just happened, what has taken place is the work of the Holy Spirit. One commentator goes even as far as saying, Peter raises his voice and speaks in a manner that shows wisdom and sobriety. And he uses the language that everybody understands in the land. We know that in a text before, everyone starts speaking in different languages. And Peter says, just so we are clear, I'm going to speak in a way that you understand me. And I want to let you know that we are not drunk. Don't get it twisted. What's happening here is supernatural. Let me give you the reasons why. And I'm going to speak in a language that all of you understand so that there is no confusion after I get done laying out my case. Have any of you been in a group or a part of a, 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 a friend group that you guys have like a secret handshake or there's like a, a specific saying that you guys, only you guys understand. You're maybe out somewhere and, and you see someone and you just say something ridiculous. But the other person knows what you're saying and, and others maybe have no idea what, what just happened. I know we used to do that. And even on social media, listen, my, my uh, venturing in social media has stopped at Instagram. So I don't have the other stuff, the Snapchat, the TikTok and other things, but even on Instagram, there are still some young people. I can't believe Instagram's like the old person thing now. But even on there, there are still some young people, and somehow we went from, when, when I first got on, on Instagram, we went from like taking like the most, trying to get the most clearest, nicest picture with like filters and like making it look professional to like the most out of focus, blurry, pixelated group. There's some of you who you know who I'm talking about who take like a picture of like an eyeball like up close or like an out of focus shot. And I have no idea how we got from like clear, awesome photography to like, let's see how bad we can make it. I don't understand. And then the caption is like, if you know, you know. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I'd like to find out why we are trying to take terrible pictures and posting them on social media. And maybe I don't understand it. So please, if you see me after church, I'll be in the back. Explain to me why you do you take blurry pictures? I don't understand it, but maybe that's a thing. And, and this is similar to what was happening. There was 
what was happening here in the book of Acts was if you weren't in this group, you thought these people were crazy, were, were drunk. Peter is not giving up. He's giving context to what has just been seen. He even takes it one step further and he sets up a defense for his case for those who've been judging. And what we know is that they were not alone. They weren't just secluded in a temple, and we established that last week. There's, there's a lot of discrepancy on where they were, but we know that they weren't in a place that it was just them. Whether they were just outside of the temple, in a house, there were those among them and around them who were not part of this experience that were only witnesses to what was happening. So verse 15, he sets up his defense, and then in what you see in verse 16 through 21 is the evidence, the proof, stating his case as to why. And in verse 17 it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. School's back out again. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great glorious day of the Lord. So we see three things. Prophets, dreamers, and visionaries is what he says is going to happen and giving the context as to what you've just seen, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what's about to take place and it may go beyond anything you've ever expected of from God. Prophesiers, those who speak perfectly, accurately, predictive messages from God. Our last known prophet, if you consider yourself a Seventh-day Adventist, we know is Ellen G. White. But what if in the last days God anointed another prophet? Would you be open to that? Is that possible? Or have we limited God to history? What would that look like? Would you say that person's drunk? He doesn't make sense. Now we also know that there will be a lot of false prophets. But if there's false ones, There's got to be true ones. So what would you do if God brought that type of person anointed to prophesy? Would would we dismiss it because we didn't understand it? Would we say that they're crazy? He says there will be young men will will see visions and old men will dream dreams. And maybe God has come to you in a dream. Maybe he has given you a vision and maybe he has not. But what does that look like in our world today? And if someone had that gift and God anointed them with that, how would you react? Now there's tests to what a true prophet is. And in scripture we know how to test what a true prophet is, is is if what they say comes to actually happen, and if they claim Jesus as Messiah, right? But what if, a, if someone said, God came to me in a dream? What would your reaction be? Whatever that is, whatever purpose God has given you, 
it's for one thing. It's for advancing the kingdom of heaven. That is what we have been given. Whatever gift God has given you, whatever spiritual gift that is, it's for one reason. It's not for your own pleasure and to bring, puff yourself up. It is to advance the kingdom of heaven. If we believe with our hearts and in our minds that in the same way the Holy Spirit enters our lives is the same way that we express that major event, then prophesying, dreaming, and visioning should be expected. It should be on the, the tip of the iceberg of how uncomfortable we may get. Because God did not call us to tranquility, but to spiritual transformation. That is what he calls us to. He calls us to do the unimaginable through him, by him, and for him. We are his vessels. We are to be used. And this is what the expectation is from God of these people to be open to receive his Holy Spirit and to finish his work. In the beginning of Acts 2, there was, there was expectations from the people that they were expecting of God. And now God shows himself through the Holy Spirit, and now it's flipped. Now he says, now these are my expectations for you. As you claim to be my child, you open your heart to me. This is what I want you to do. And this is the beginning of the New Testament church. This is the foundation. Jesus says, at the, at the, towards the end of it, he says, I, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. What does that look like today? He doesn't pour out his spirit on a specific gender, on a race. He pours it out on all people. God promises in a special manner to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That is not upon certain individuals only, but upon the whole human race without distinction of sex, age, even as rain that graciously is sent to water the whole land. The spiritual gifts are available to everyone. It doesn't matter how broken you've become, how messed up you think you are. That doesn't matter. God's gifts, the work of God is for you if you choose to receive that gift. So those, those are the expectations that God has for us. Simply to receive what he is going to do through you. And through the access of the Holy Spirit, the death of Jesus, we begin to finish his work. I remember just talking back when I, when I first came here, and I, I talked about it last week, um, but this is a continuation of, of last week. But I remember the expectations that were put upon me, and, and um, I remember thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to wrap my head around this. I don't even know where to begin. And for a moment, I almost didn't take the call to come here because I was overwhelmed. And so I got on my knees and I said, God, I, I have no idea what this is about. This is beyond me. And he said, that's where I want you to be. In a place where you feel so uncomfortable that you have no choice but to rely on me. 
when you think you've got it under control, when you think your goals and, and your things in life are within reach and they're attainable, God says that's not where you need to be. You need to be in a place of dependence upon me. And this is the place where the New Testament church begins to put themselves in. To expect great things from God that do not depend solely on themselves, but upon God. In the final statement, we see the, the proclamation in 22. We won't read it just for time's sake, but I encourage you to read all of Acts 2 as we continue to journey. But he says this, Jesus is Messiah. We know this by two things, by his works and by his resurrection. The Old Testament prophesied of a coming Messiah, and it talks about this one who is to come and is going to save the world. There is this constant looking forward to something that is coming. And the four books that open the New Testament, the Gospels, are the story of that Messiah. We see Jesus' action. We see his works. We see what he's doing, and he claims to be the Son of God. So we know him by his works and his resurrection. That's it. We don't need anything else to know that Jesus is Messiah. The grave could not hold him. He had a greater plan, and he conquered death. And that's what all of this is about. The New Testament church would not exist if it wasn't for the sacrifice that Jesus made. We wouldn't be here if Jesus was not nailed to that cross. And that's what it all boils down to is Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit are only accessible because of what Jesus did on the cross. The foundation, we established it. The foundation of this church, of Warehouse Community of Forest Lake Church, is Jesus. That's what it comes down to. And when your posture, and we talked about a little bit about posture last week, but when your posture is not in a constant position of praise, then your priority becomes the opinion of the mockers. The opinion of those who are within the group and outside of criticizing the ones who were doing the work of God. When you don't open yourself up to receiving the Spirit, you become one of the mockers, one of the ones who called them drunkards. You begin to criticize. You, be, you begin to criticize your own church, the ones around you. And we have enough critics outside of the church. We don't need any inside. Because God did not call us to be critics, but to be creators of his work. And so what is your posture? Is it one that says, God, I'm open to your leading? Even if I don't understand what's happening in my church and it, it's not something that I'm used to, that I'm comfortable with, I know that their sights are set on you. I'm, I'm all into what you have called me to be in this church. What is your posture? Is it open? And are you open to things and direction and God leading in your life, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, even if you don't understand it, even if you may not agree, or does your posture close and you become a critic and you dismiss the work of God in a community 
in your own life? Or are you open to the things that he's going to do even if you can't comprehend it? It's time to stop being a critic and it's time to be a creator. We are created in his, his image. Part of what he did was create. And he's called us to do the same thing, to be visionaries, to see things differently, to create a space for those who are lost, who need love. That is what we are called to create, a place that reflects Jesus. And it goes beyond this room. It is with each and every one of us to be creating the future for God's work. The moment your posture is in a position of praise, your sights become set on Jesus and nothing else matters except for the work that he has planned for you. Jesus is Messiah. He came down here for a purpose. He didn't come here for a show. He didn't come here just to walk the earth and do amazing things. There was a greater plan. And that plan was to bring salvation to you, to me, to make it accessible, and to ultimately receive his spirit to finish his work. Jesus is Messiah. And what is he expecting of you? Maybe you don't know what that looks like. Maybe you haven't even prayed that prayer of God, okay, now that I have identified you as Lord and Savior, what are you expecting of me? See, the mistake that we've made for so long, even in the church and, and, and as church leaders, we're guilty of it. We baptize someone and we think the journey ends there. Oh, great. We got another one. Awesome. But the beginning of Jesus's ministry was after baptism. That is when the work began. So what does that look like? Have you challenged God to the point of saying, God, I am open to whatever you have in store for me, even if it's going to make me uncomfortable, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, I'm going to kick and scream, but God, I'm here to do your work. Have you prayed that prayer? What is God expecting for you in this church at Warehouse Community? We all have a role to play. We're not seat warmers. God has challenged us to be a part of his church. What does he have to give you? What is it that he is waiting to give you? And what are you holding on to that is not allowing you to receive the new gifts from God? That could be pain. That could be a relationship. That could be sitting in your own mess that God has already forgiven you from but you can't seem to pull yourself out of. And so you're holding on to it. And God says, if you would just let that go, I have new things I want to give you, new gifts, new challenges. I want to take you beyond anything that you thought you were capable of. And I want you to do great things for me. What are you holding on to that is not allowing God to put new expectations on your life? What is the next step? We talked, we used to talk about this a lot at Upper Room, but we would challenge people to take the next step. And that could be simply just committing to coming every week. That, that could be opening your Bible on Monday morning. 
that could be stepping in to volunteer, to be a leader in the church. Everyone has a next step, but what is that next step for you? What does that look like? Just this past week, we had a meeting. We call it the Warehouse Masterminds meeting. And um, it's, it's people outside of Pastor Mark, Pastor Justin, and myself who are a lot smarter than us and that help us create vision for Warehouse. And we call them masterminds. And we just sit and listen and, and we say, that's a good idea. Like, we should do that. Yep, that's great. This is why we're pastors and not visionaries. That's why we bring those people in. But there was a, a, a sentence that we wrote and we were, we were putting goals and prioritizing what we want to accomplish next. One of those goals was, and it was written like this, I don't remember exactly, but I remember the specific word. It was, um, we want to connect every individual that comes to Warehouse Community. And then we were challenged by that. We said, no, we have expectations for people who come to Warehouse Community. There is an expectation that we make every individual a volunteer, that we make them part of this, that, that they have an investment here. So we changed it from connect every volunteer to each other because I hope our hope is for all of us, for all of you, that God reveals your spiritual gifts to you and you figure out where your place is here to use them to advance the kingdom of heaven. That is our expectation. That's one of them. We're going to hear a lot more in the future. And maybe you, you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Maybe you've ventured and you've wandered and, and you're like, man, I'm not, I'm not good at anything. I don't, I don't know where my, my place is. So the challenge is, God, reveal it to me. I'm letting everything go. I want you to, to show me what it is you're expecting of me. And we want to journey with you. There's a number that we have, and Derek alluded to it, but it's 94,000. And what we did a few weeks ago we said, we want you to text, I want to serve, all lowercase one word, to 94,000. And what that does is it sends you immediately a spiritual gifts inventory that you take, answer some questions, it's very short, but you begin to see what you're good at. And maybe you've never taken a personality test, or this is similar to that, but it begins a conversation, and we want to connect with you on that. It begins to start a conversation with myself and a few others who are going to be reaching out to everyone who texts that, who wants to be a part, who is open to the spirits leading it in their life of what is God calling you to do? And that's just, that's just the beginning of our journey. But it begins the process of saying, God, show me your expectations of me. I want to do great things for you and I want to advance the kingdom of heaven. That is our number one duty here as a Christian to advance the kingdom of heaven. Don't ever stop dreaming of what God's going to do through you. Don't ever stop dreaming of what God's going to do through your church. We go in confidence knowing that he's going to do something new for our church. So maybe this is your next step. You take your phone out, you text, I want to serve to 94,000 and you begin that journey. As scary as it may be, Everyone has spiritual gifts, and we want to connect with you. So my prayer is that each and every one of you take your next step, and you find and you hear from God what He is expecting of you.
May you let it go. Let go whatever is holding you back. Maybe it's someone sitting next to you. Who cares? Ignore them. This is between you and God. This is what this moment's about. Putting God to the challenge. And this is praying courageously. And I'll tell you, if you pray in this way, you better have the courage to live it out because he's going to show up. I know it. What is God expecting of you to advance the kingdom of heaven?